Thank you so much for the beauty of your creation, for the beauty of even this amazing tree we have. God, the sun, the sky, all those things we made to declare your goodness and to declare your glory. God, we just worship you for your goodness, for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, we gotta we gotta end with authority, right? Gotta end those prayers with an authoritative amen. Do I need to move my mic or we're okay? All right. All right. So uh, Ken asked me a couple months ago if I could uh, preach this morning. I was really excited. It was a lot different than the last time when he his flight just didn't show up and I found out like the day before. So I've had prepare, right? So this better be good, right? Pressure is on. Except when I was praying last night in the shower when I got home from the fun men's event, and I was just asking again, God, what do you want to say through me? What do you want to speak through me? And what he said wasn't what my sermon was. So, being trying to be obedient to the Holy Spirit, I've rewritten most of my sermon last night at 11.30. I'm not saying that just to, just to you know, get out of criticism. Maybe a little <laughs> bit. Maybe a little bit. But I do want to encourage you guys to be obedient to the Spirit. Hello? Oh, sorry, I keep cutting out. So the first thing that God spoke to me very clearly was... I love my people. And I just, I, I want to communicate that to you. I want to communicate God's love to you. Listen, listen to this. God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. I can't say that enough. He loves you. You are known, each one of you. He hears your cries. He sees your tears. Every single one. He's also witnessed the hurt that you've afflicted on others, knows your dark inner thoughts that you've harbored. He's waited patiently while you've attached yourselves to your scrolling phone or to Netflix or golf or alcohol or shopping or work or whatever you use to distract yourself from the world. And guess what? He loves you. He loves you. I can't, again, I, do, you, <laughs> do you know that? Do you feel that? You are precious to him. Each one of you. You are so precious that he sent his son to be sacrificed so you could be free. That's the good news that we carry with us. Not only with our words, but the transformed lives and relationships that we have among one another. 
all we have to do is repent and believe that it's true. Do you feel that love? Do you feel and know that freedom? You don't have to try to be good or right. You can't. No matter how hard you try, God is the only one who's right. But he placed his righteousness in you. When you believe that, when you have that faith, your faith causes God's righteousness to be in you. He loves you. Gotta <laughs> internalize that. Let that let that let that fall into you. Don't don't keep it in your brain as yeah, God loves me. Uh, Jesus loves me. This I know. I know that song. But do you rest in that love when you go to sleep? Does it hold you during your pain? Does it comfort you in your grief? Do you walk in it? Do you work in it? Is it written on your heart and engraved on every part of your life that you are loved? Does it guide every decision? Do you notice it when you wake up, when you eat breakfast, as you drive? <laughs> Do you speak out from a place of being loved? Are you truly free? He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. I want each of you to hear that, and I'm, I'll keep saying it. And when I stop saying it, I want you guys to start saying it to each other. He loves you. I want to play a quick game. It's called Name That City. Okay, I'm going to give you some clues about the city, and then you can guess, just silently in your mind, what city am I talking about, okay? It's an ethnically diverse city, has a majority culture, but growing ever more cosmopolitan as people from other nations move in. Clue number one. A city with many churches trying to survive a prevailing secular culture. However, two main parties divide the Christians in these churches. One of those parties actually had to leave the churches for a time and were just starting to come back. And as the distance Christians came back, there was increasing division in the church as people dug more staunchly into their individual positions. Think for a moment. Can you guess the city? If you guessed first century Rome, you would be correct. Okay, As Rome conquered, new and different cultures migrated to the city of Rome. It was increasingly cosmopolitan, but with a prevailing... Roman culture. There were many separate house churches in Rome trying to survive as they were eventually labeled the atheists because they didn't worship the Roman pantheon. There were two main parties of Christians, Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. And the Jews had been relatively well-received to this point in Rome and even had special exemptions to worship Yahweh except during the reign of Claudius, 
in AD 49, many Jews and Jewish Christians were kicked out due to an issue some, uh, with someone named Crestus, maybe Christos. Five years later, when Claudius died, his edicts were revoked and many Jews were coming back. Romans was written in 56 or 57 A.D. And that is the situation that Paul was writing Romans into. So what kind of divisions are we talking about here? What kind of, what, what kind of parties does Paul have to speak into? These weren't, they weren't petty squabbles or minor opinions. They weren't theologically nuanced. They weren't philosophical. They were critical, central issues to this new and budding church. What does it mean to be a Christian? How does a Christian live, behave, worship? How does a Christian separate themselves from secular idolatry and obey the commandments of God? Identity, ethics, and how we worship are no small thing. We have to keep in mind on one side, in one party, the Jewish Christians, God has already commanded the Jews how to worship. He gave them their identity and told them how to live. God picked Israel as his chosen people after the nations were divided and scattered at Babel. He commanded them with the law to do certain things, to not only make themselves separate from the world, but also a light and a blessing to the nations, honoring the Sabbath and keeping it holy, not eating food sacrificed to idols. Those are the marks of God's people, Israel. The Jewish Christians identified with that. And I don't know about you, but I would be reticent to change commands that were issued from a fiery cloud. Right? Now, now what, about, what about the other party? What about the Gentile Christians? They have the Holy Spirit now. Faith in Jesus now. But still have many different cultural practices than the Jews as part of their everyday life. The apostles have confirmed the Gentiles are in. Right? Read Acts 10, Acts 15. The Gentiles are in. They're part of this, this whole deal. But what about these other practices. This is, this is serious stuff. And this is actually 100 years before Marcion, if you know about Gnosticism, he basically rejected the entire Old Testament and Jews in general. It was, it was still 100 years before him, but still the ideas of Jews being replaced by the Gentiles was already starting. And can you imagine how much more that would grow when all the Jewish Christians were kicked out for five years? So and now the Jewish Christians are just coming back, but the Gentile Christians have been kind of on their own for a while. That's a lot of conflict. You can't get more divisive. The very center of identity, of worship, of ethics. Everyone wanted to be morally and ethically right. Each side wanted to be righteous. That's very natural. I want to be right. Don't you want to be right? <laughs> That's the state of things in Rome when Paul is writing Romans. So what does he do? What does he do when he's faced with this division? 
to a church that he's never even been to yet. Go read Romans. I'm done. Uh, I only speak like once a year, so I can't do a three-month series and get into the richness of Romans. So you should go read Romans to get all that he's, that he's doing. It's an amazing book. It unpacks so much of God's heart for the church, God's love, and about salvation. Well, let me give you a, a summary, just a quick, a quick little paradigm. Paul leads with love then the gospel, then the righteousness of God, then faith, then the life of faith in the Spirit. He reorients the Roman church's identity. Then, then he tackles some of the details of the ethical and worship practice issues. He starts with tackling identity. Let me show you. He leads with love. Romans 1.7. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. That's how he starts. He moves to the gospel. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This is 1.15. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. He moves into God's righteousness. right? Because they want to be right. Both sides want to be right and righteous and do things the right way. But he says in Romans 3.10, There is no one righteous. Not one. There's no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away and together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. He's quoting Psalm 14 and 53 there. He's smacking them both down, both Jews and Greeks. No one is right. Now verse 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. The righteousness is given through faith. So don't worry about you being in the right. God is in the right. He moves on to faith. Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith. Good news. You Jews and Gentiles are wrong. God is right, but all you have to do is repent and have faith, and you get that rightness. You get that righteousness of God by faith. You don't have to try to be right. Just have faith. That righteousness comes to you. Then he moves on to a life of faith and in the Spirit and what that looks like. Romans 8, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to read that again. Therefore, there is now no 
Zero, zilch, nada. That's an amplified Bible version. Zero, zilch, nada, nothing. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Skipping to verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither present, nor future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation would be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you feel that love? Do you know that love that cannot be separated from you? That's the life of faith. Paul talks about what it looks like to live out a life in the Spirit. Again, go read Romans. I'm skipping around here. Go read it. Then, in Romans 13, 14, 15, towards the end, he teaches about some of the details of these ethical, moral, worship practice disputes. He talks about this. He, said what, he talks about the, what authority does the government have over Christians? What, how should we deal with these differences? But not until Romans 13. He starts with love, and then the gospel, and then God's righteousness, and then faith, and then a life of faith in the Spirit. That's how it starts. What about us? What about now? When I was describing Rome to you initially, were you thinking of more close cities to us? What if we used this as a paradigm? What if the first thing someone knew when they met you was that they were loved? What if you told them the gospel and the freedom you have and that, and that they could have because of God's love? What if instead of arguing to be right, you boasted in your weakness and talked about God's righteousness? What if you talked of your faith and repentance and how that's all they need to do? Just have to believe. What if we, as a church, walked in the life of faith, following the Holy Spirit, demonstrating with our actions that we believe and accept the undeserving, overwhelming love of God. What if, even then, even after that, and we, we got to our divisions and disputes, what if they still weren't over being right, but sharing with one another the places that God has called us to live our life of faith and encouraging and correcting in love? I'll be honest, I don't see a lot of that. I'm just as guilty as anyone. I'm preaching to myself as much as anyone. Notice what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we pull away from the world or politics or work. I'm not saying that we don't resolve disputes or correct false doctrine. 
I'm not saying that we leave the places that God has sent us to bring his kingdom. Maybe you are sent to bring racial healing and justice. Maybe you're sent to fight against false doctrine of our children in schools. Maybe you're sent to participate in politics, to protect life, create safe communities, flourishing for your neighbors. But what if we led with our identity and not our dispute? What if we led with love, then the gospel, then God's righteousness, then faith and the life of faith? If we begin with these fundamentals, we will be united despite our differences. I want to challenge you and me. I want to challenge us, City Hill Church, to approach division in this way. Before harsh words on social media or avoiding people you don't like or you don't think like you or don't vote like you do or don't think you vote like, don't think they vote like you do, especially other brothers and sisters in Christ. Lead with love. Then the gospel affirm God's righteousness. Unite in the saving faith that gives you his righteousness. Then talk of the life of faith that you're living in the Spirit. Once you've done that, let's talk politics, social justice, or COVID. Do it as fellow followers of Jesus, saved by grace through faith, loved, loved. Again, do you know that? Do you feel that? Do you see that? Do you eat, sleep, and breathe that you are loved? And if I haven't said it enough, I'm going to say it one more time. And then I want you guys to say it to each other as you leave. Say it to your children before bed. Say it to your coworkers. Say it to your neighbors. Say it to your friends. You are loved. Close in prayer. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you that nothing can separate us from your love. God, we want, to, we want to not just know that in our minds. We want to know that in our hearts and in our behavior. God, lead us by your Spirit. Let us just be overwhelmed by your presence. Let us be a city on a hill whose beacon is love and the gospel and your righteousness and the faith given to us and your spirit which leads us. We love you, God. Amen. You are dismissed.
have a wonderful day. Greet one another. Hang out in the beautiful, beautiful sun. There's water over there. And yeah, just enjoy the day and love one another. Tell you you love one another. Tell each other you're loved. Have a good day.